Hi, and welcome to this episode of I've Got This Kid. I'm your host, Sharina Williams, licensed speech and language pathologist, homeschooling mom of two, wife of one, here to share everything speech, language, play, development, and all that other stuff that falls between. Listen up, world changers. I had to take an unexpected break. Homeschooling this year has been real. OMG. It has been fun, but it has also been quite the adjustment and challenge for all of us because the kids are getting older and uh, the learning is getting more complex. And so I had to make sure that we were in a good groove and not only that we were in a good groove, but that I was practicing what I preach and making sure to put my little sugars first before coming to this platform. But let me tell you, we're doing great. We're on week five. It's been wonderful. And I'm genuinely glad to be back with you guys. But hey, I got to take care of my sugars and then I'll be ready to take care of your sugar. So that's how we do this thing. I take care of mine. I teach you how to take care of yours. And we got this reciprocity thing going on. But I am genuinely glad to be back, y'all. So today, World Changers, we are continuing the back to school series and we're going to review early language milestones because we need to make sure that our sugars are getting tooled up, that they're getting the stuff that they need and we're getting tooled up to make sure that we can give it to them. And the only way that we do that is by reviewing and by learning, because honestly, it's very rare that anybody completely learns anything fluently the first time around. And so we're just stepping back around. We're not going to go as deep as we did in the Milestone series. You could go ahead and review that past episodes there. But for today, we're just going to look at some review. So we're getting right into it. I can't wait. What are expected language milestones for the birth to 36 month population? Well, for this age, so many things are happening. There's even studies out there that say that babies are learning while still in utero. And what I mean by learning, they're not learning like complex language, but they are starting to learn speech sounds that are within their language and specifically from their moms because they hear their mom's voice all the time. And so vowel sounds that are characteristic of their native language are sounds that they're picking up on. As soon as they come out, not only do they hear the sounds, but they now have the visuals, whether it be looking at the person communicating, how they're communicating with other people, but they can also watch their mouth and they can also watch reactions and they're getting all of these different things that they didn't quite get in utero. But soon as they come out, language learning is happening. And so from birth to 12 months, we expect our sugars to respond to sounds, smile when being smiled at, cooing, so those, "Eh, eh, 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 eh," those kinds of sounds, babbling, that's when we put a consonant and a vowel together. And then we also hear babbling combinations. So it transitions from ba 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 to like ba ma ma ba ma ba ba ma ma ba ma, and it starts to sound a little bit more conversational because the pitch and the tone and the variation sounds very conversational. And it's funny because during this time, if you talk back to the little sugar when they're making these babbles, then they'll babble back to you because in their mind they're having some form of conversation because at this point they know that if they say something, you're supposed to respond back. And if you say something, they're supposed to respond back. Now they may not have like the full word approximation, but they at least have some idea. And they also call attention with sounds. So, ah, 
Mm. Or they even may pull at you. And pulling at this point is a form of communication. It's like physical communication because they're trying to call attention to you. And it's the best way that they know how to compensate. So if I pull you, that means what? Come here. If I push you, that means go away. If I drop something, that means what? Pick it up. So all of these things are happening, not only with the verbal communication development, but the nonverbal communication development. They're using both. They're also using crying during this stage. They're really using crying a lot of the times to get our attention, to get fed, to get comfort when they're scared, when they're uncomfortable. Crying is still the primary mean of communication. But again, the language, the early language, that pre-language is also happening as well, where they're looking at you to get a response, where again, if you smile at them, they're smiling back. If you call their name, they're looking at you. So those social language skills are also happening, which is really important for that birth to 12 month stage, because it's these skills that they use time and time again. And all of a sudden you hear first words. Now, on average, we hear first words around 12 months. But some kids, they they start really early. Some little sugars, you might hear a serious first word, them mama looking at you. And every single time, mama looking at you. And not just the babble of mama, 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 but like looking at you and calling you, wanting you as mama to respond back or dada or the pet's name. Those are usually a lot of times the first words, mom's name, dad's name, pet's name, maybe sibling, definitely milk is somewhere in there or whatever it is that desired item is that they love so much. Those are the labels that you're going to hear somewhere around 12 months, sometimes before, sometimes a little bit after, but we do consider at 12 months, anything after 12 months, then you were considered mm, a little bit of a sluggish, late first word talker, but that's not the end of the world. So let's get to 12 to 24 months and what we expect to happen. Between 12 and 24 months, we expect again, that first word emerges. But not only does that first word emerge, we should also start hearing the buildup and the pickup of other first words as well. And so by 18 months, we expect at least at the very minimum, bare bones, 10 words. 10 words should happen by 18 months. But not only should the words be happening, they should also be humming and singing favorite songs. They may not know the words. They may tear up the words, botch them up. I still tear words up in a song, but they may, they may like get some words and some tunes, some twinkle, twinkle, little star. (laughs) Those kinds of things we're starting to hear around this time. We should also see them following really simple directions. Pick up the toy. Give that to me. Stop it. No, don't hit Things like that that we hear, push the car, bounce, roll the ball. Those are those very, very basic, early, simple, one-step directions. And it's things that we've heard time and time and time again, and we've exposed them to it time and time and time again. Like you might even say to an older sibling, get the diaper. And the baby may look across the room at where the diapers are because they understand what that is. And so they're looking in the direction of where that item is. Those are the things that we expect to see during that time. 
And then by 24 months, we should see them follow through with more complex two-step related directions. So that might be pick up your bottle and give it to me. Pick up the toy and give it to your sister. A lot of times it's directions. Don't touch that. It's hot. Get the ball. Bounce the ball. Roll it back to me. Don't pull the dog's ear. Pat the dog, right? So all really basic two-step directions that they use or that they've heard time and time again from you and that they're learning to apply in everyday life. By 24 months, this is where the big language boom happens. And I mean, boom, because between that 18 and 24 months, not only are they starting to pick up more words, they're starting to pick up using more words more rapidly. And when I mean by using more words, I mean independently saying words without mom or dad or sister saying, say this, say that, say this, say hi, say bye. So they're using these words without any prompting from us on their own and without us trying to hunt them down and make them use language to communicate. We should really be hearing between that 18 and 24 months, our little sugars independently using those words, the newly learned words. Why is this important? Because again, language boom is happening at 24 months. And soon as that boom hits, then we expect them to have at least 50 words on the low end. After that 24 months, we expect every single week, five to seven new words. And this is really, really important because they're building up that vocabulary. They're learning how to use language. They're starting to speak in phrases and sentences. So you might hear on the, on the younger end, some of the earlier language might be daddy go. I sleepy, I hungry, a lot of me and I kind of phrases. Let's go play, thank you. Very simple, basic phrases that we use to get through the day. Because remember, everything that's happening between birth and 36 months is foundation. But the biggest thing that's happening that they need for a lifetime is the social skill communication. How do I use language to get through the day, to get my wants and needs met? That's why we're really not super concerned about pre-academics at this point. We're really concerned about can sugar use language to communicate thoughts and ideas and wants and needs and dislikes and greetings and all of those kinds of things. And so when that language boom takes place, those short phrases turn into short sentences. I go play. Let's go eat. So we also start hearing variation in the types of sentences. And the more variation we hear, that lets us know Sugar's brain is at work and they're learning how to put language together characteristic to their native language. And this happens across cultures, the same steps in the same way language is acquired through observation, practice, use, growth, refinement, use, growth refinement. And then that happens for the rest of our lives. We learn language, we use it, we refine it. If we're not using it the right way, we grow and use it again. And it's the process of language learning. So we really want to make sure that during this time that foundationally, and I keep using that word foundationally, because that's like our coined phrase for today. Like we have to set a strong foundation during this point to set our sugars up before we hit pre-academic because the shift takes place there. 
So we want to see again during this time, five to seven new words, speaking in maybe like short, simple phrases, but closer to the end of that language boom of 36 months, really speaking in sentences, taking conversational turns. What's a conversational turn? I say something to you. I pause and stop talking. You say something back to me. And we continue with this exchange back and forth. And so when we're having these exchanges, that means I'm not prompting my little sugar to say the words because they're thinking on their own and then communicating those thoughts and ideas to me. This stuff is important. And so we really don't want to overprompt and we want to find that fine line to make sure that we're not overcompensating for them or if they're kind of mixing things up that we're modeling language without making it a pressure field kind of thing. And so instead of us saying to them, say this, or say it this way, we just provide the feedback the way that it should sound. So if they say something like hurt arm, we can come in and say, oh, you hurt your arm, right? And so we're giving them that correction and we're refining it, but their brains are able to take what we say and fix it for the next time. And so like we're, again, we're, we're staying away from say and telling them what to say. And we're really looking at how are they using language? How can we help them make their sentences intact? And it's really important during this time too, like slang is fine. I have no problem with it. I use and make up words all the time. I am the queen of making up words and just being grammatically incorrect. Like that is my jam, but I also know how to turn it off, right? And so we need to make sure that Sugar knows how to, has a good vocabulary and knows how to put sentences together properly. And is it using so much slang to the point to where they can't use simple sentences and have conversational exchanges that make grammatical sense? This is important and you're gonna find out why later. Another thing that we're seeing during this time is that our sugars can tell about a situation from start to end. And the facts might be a little bit shady at this point. See, there's my slang. But the facts may be a little bit wonky, might be a little bit shady. And it's for a reason because they're still learning how to organize these thoughts and ideas and get it out. And so again, we can act as the refiner, but we also wanna find a fine line between refining and helicoptering over them and making it a pressure thing because we really don't want it to become a pressure filled thing. We want it to be fun. And the final thing that they're doing during this time is they are relating their personal experiences. And I mean, during the toddler age, that's all they do. Like it's me, it's I, it's my, it's this, it's that. But they might also be showing empathy for others. And that's really cool. That's very sweet. And we can even kind of scaffold and play with that a little bit and just be like, well, how do you think she fell? Oh no, she fell down. I know how you would feel, but how do you think she would feel? How do you think that I would feel? And this is when we can bring our perspective and our theory of mind. And that's just simply meaning like our point of view into place and, and make it a reality that other people have thoughts and ideas that are separate from them. Because at this point too, they're also separating themselves from us because for some time they thought that mommy and them were one 
we were this one thing, but you know, the rebellion, most world changers will say, well, the rebellion really happened around two. And it's not a rebellious thing. It's really them learning how to assert themselves and find their own independence away from you. And so they're just not going to agree and be as compliant as they were before, but it's, it's totally healthy as long as you have healthy boundaries in place. So I'm hoping that makes sense, world changers. So those are the things that we expect, just basic language milestones from birth and a little bit of information about in utero, in the belly, to 36 months. So do language milestones end because my child is preschool age? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Language milestones do not end just because our sugar hits preschool age. A lot of things are going on from birth to 36 months, but we need those foundational things because they're going to need to take everything that they learned about social language, about learning vocabulary, picking up vocabulary, how to use vocabulary, conversational turn-taking, following directions, following complex directions, and it shifts to pre-academic learning. Now you're learning how to apply these skills in different ways, whether it be in a home-based situation or a classroom situation, you're learning how to apply those skills. And so during this time, we expect the sentences to become more complex. There might be more description. Instead of it just being push the car, it might be, I'm going to push the blue car. The vocabulary continues to build up. This is why we want to make sure that we are having conversations and exposing our sugars to different language and different vocabulary because they're taking it in. Their brains are like little sponges during this time. And it's really fun because they're learning how to use language. So they don't know if the word that you're introducing to them is a multi-syllabic word that's rarely ever used. If they understand the meaning and understand how to use it in context, I guarantee they are going to try it out because that's how they work. If you use it enough, they are going to try it. They are interesting people. Try it and see what happens there. What also happens is the social skills expand. So during that two-year-old phase to where they were asserting themselves and learning that mommy and me are not the same person. They're also learning now that not only is mommy and me not the same person, but there's people outside of me, there's community outside of me, and there's cooperation that happens outside of me and they're sharing. And there's a lot of fun things that happens with my peers. And then this is the biggest thing that I think happens during this time. That's following directions on paper. That's the biggest thing to me that's really being introduced in the language world. They're taking all of this stuff that they've been learning auditorily through the ears and they're taking that stuff and they're transferring it onto paper. Think about it. Remember the little, um, it comes in all kinds of ways now, depending on your learning environment. But when I was a kid, we had, I had Buffy and Mac. I had Buffy and Mac little series. I don't know what series that's out of, but I still have my Buffy and Mac book and it was a bear and a rabbit. And on the page, there would be a host of shapes and boxes. And my teacher was standing in the front of the class. And Miss Leahy, that was her name. And she would tell us what to do to each box in each shape. She would say something like, circle the heart. Or cross out the star. Or um, put, a, put a star 
around the heart square. And she would give us like these really simple directions and it was being introduced on paper. But now there's all kinds of different ways I've seen this done. Same concept, different way of doing it. I've seen it on wooden pegboards. I've seen it where um, there's stamps where the teacher will have the little sugars. They'll have their own little stamps or they'll have pegs. There's all kinds of ways. But the whole point of it is, is that they're learning how to follow directions, not physically carrying it out, like going and getting the ball and bringing it to me or picking the toy up off the floor, but looking at this item, this, this item that's outside of them because they're no longer the vessel to go get something and make it happen. But now it's like on paper and this tangible something and having to follow these directions. This is setting them up for more complex schoolwork. Because what's the first thing you see when you look at your homework assignment? The directions. And the directions are what? Your map. And your map does what? Tells you what to do. And so this is why our toddlers need to learn how to follow directions so young, not only for safety purposes, not only because we said so, but also because it's their pre-academic foundation and it gets them to where they need to go academically. It gets them to cooperate in community. If the teacher says, sit down and take out your book and turn to page 19 so you can put circles and stars around Buffy and Mac in them, then that's what you need to do. And so this stuff isn't just happening like, yes, there should be like some, some free will for our sugars to explore and for them to exert their ideas and for them to have that space to, to just do what they want. There's definitely a space for that. But making sure that they master learning how to follow directions, oh my gosh, do not, <laughs> do not, do not overlook that. And I know that there's a lot of different parenting styles and there's a lot of new techniques being introduced to our day and age, but we just want to make sure that we're not confusing following directions with us asserting some kind of punishment or penalty on them, or even suggesting that we're taking away from our sugars being able to be their best selves, because they really do need to learn in order to cooperate with the world how to follow some level of direction because it definitely transitions over to everything. And I've said this once and I'll say it again. The first time sugar hears no should not be in the classroom from their teacher. That's a terrible idea and a terrible wake up call. So we just want to find again, that balance. It shouldn't be no all the time because then it becomes what can they do? And you're going to get a different kind of rebellion. But again, learning those boundaries and how to exercise them in a way that's healthy and appropriate to your sugar. That's why we do this stuff, y'all. So let's say that sugar is not necessarily meeting these milestones. And you're noticing that sugar is sluggish in one of these language milestone areas. Maybe sugar is great at following directions, but the vocabulary is sluggish. Or maybe the vocabulary is there and the following directions is sluggish. My thing is we have to be able to put ourselves in a position to where we can support our sugar with their language milestones. I am a firm advocate for community around us to help us or else if I was not, I would not be here podcasting today because I believe in the power of community and I also believe in the power of bringing different perspective. And so my perspective is I'm a speech language pathologist who specializes in early intervention, but I'm also a mom. So I know both worlds. So 
if this is the case, what we wanna do, if our sugar is not meeting early language milestones, later language milestones, maybe they picked up language, but there's like a little bit of a gap there. We want to make sure that we are proactive first, right? That we're learning our sugar first so we can identify the gap or we can bring somebody on board who can help us identify the gap. But in the meantime, just to get things started, I want you guys to know that trial and error should never, ever, 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 ever be overlooked. Trial and error is key. We don't learn unless we make a mistake. That doesn't mean all lessons need to be learned through mistakes, but it does mean that we have to have our own individual time and space to where, hey, we flub up a little bit. We mess up some things a little bit. And this can happen with language, letting them practice how to use language. So before we jump in and talk for them, before we jump in and think for them, before we jump in and anticipate what they need, allow them that space, especially for our really sluggish speakers who are just outright refusing to use language and make that shift from using gestures and physical gestures over using language. We really want to make sure that we're just allowing them that space to mess up a little bit, which might be frustrating for them. And that's okay. Let them be a little bit frustrated because they need to practice. Some of the hardest things that we've done and accomplished required a little bit of our frustration. No, we don't want to see our sugars upset. But at the same time, too, we don't want to overcompensate and not give them the the skill and the ability to at least try. And we don't want them adopting the attitude that this is not something I'm good at, so I'm not even going to try So we really want to just let trial and error run its course. We also want to make communication conversational. We want to keep things conversational. If we have a sluggish speaker and they're not always willing to respond using words and they're using gestures and pointing and uh, 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 I would still keep it conversational. So maybe little little sugar is pointing to the cookies. Uh, 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 uh. And you can respond back instead of saying, oh my gosh, that uh, uh, uh gets on my nerves. Instead of saying something along those lines, maybe we could say, I don't know exactly what you're telling me. Do you want a cookie? Uh, 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 uh. And then they get all excited. Like, yeah, that's what I want. Encourage them along that time. Okay, so you want a cookie. Let's try the word. You know, let's try together. Let's let's do this. We can do it. I know you could try at least, a, you know, something to just keep it pressure free. Keep it fun. But at the same time, giving them that challenge of, you can try it, it's okay, try it out. And then if they don't, okay, well, we'll try it next time. But in the meantime, I'm going to find some support to help me help you, right? We want to ask open-ended questions. So instead of asking just yes or no questions, again, learning how to practice language takes what? Practice. And so the best way to practice is by asking questions that stay away from yes and no. Instead of maybe saying, are you hungry? We can ask an open-ended question of what would you like to eat? That gives them the chance to answer. I would like a grilled cheese sandwich. Better than, are you hungry? Yes, because then you got to ask 50 follow-up questions. But if you ask that open-ended question that requires them to give you information, more information, or if they give you a single word, you can expand on that information, 
that for you is win-win because you're practicing teaching them how to communicate back and forth, but you're also providing that language model. So let's play it out again and say that little sugar just responds with one word. What would you like to eat? Cookie. Oh, you'd like to eat a cookie? Yes, cookie. You've got an extra word out of them. So you're building language naturally with them without making it pressure filled, you're keeping it pressure free, and you're giving them the chance to think specifically what is it that they want. Another thing that we could do to help our sugar reach their language milestones is listen. Listen first. It is sometimes so difficult knowing what somebody wants, but allowing them the space to communicate their thoughts and ideas, especially when when we're in a rush. And this doesn't change just because sugar gets older with words. Like I have to catch myself so much with my own sugars, not talking over them or talking, we're talking together and not allowing them to talk over each other. We're all talkers. And, and, and it's taken me time to really learn how to just step back and listen first and wait. And if I do interrupt, apologize and say, finish your thoughts. My bad. Because not only does that teach them how to respect others when they're talking, it also gives them that chance to think through the things that they need to say, especially again, homeschooling this year has been off the hook. So it helps them get their learning and their processing together as ideas and things become more complex. Because sometimes our sugars can know in their head what it is that they want to say but have a difficult time getting it out. And so we want to try not to rush them through it. We just want to listen and then go back to that old skill that we learned when they were toddlers, then refine it. Oh, I think you were saying this, right? And then they might come back and say, yeah, but I also meant this. And that way you guys are refining together complex ideas, complex skills, complex thought processes. This stuff ain't happening for no reason when they're when they're one and two. We're doing it because guess what? We're going to have to rely on these skills as they get older. In fact, you probably have a coworker that you have to use these skills with where you have to be like, OK, I think you said this because we don't communicate the same. And so we want to make sure that we're listening first and then making sure that we're affirming what they're saying or confirming it and then letting them refine and then we refine and we get on the same page. That's how we get on the same page. Listen first. Another thing we can do, avoid answering questions for them. If sugar is a sluggish speaker and they have difficulties answering questions, maybe it's the pressure, maybe it's the anxiety, maybe it's too many failed attempts, maybe it's it's so many different reasons, maybe it's the little sugar's laughing, maybe it's whatever it is, we still want to stay away from answering for them because it's a confidence killer. Think about it. If you went to the kitchen and every time you went to the kitchen to make a dish, somebody ran in and said, let me do it for you. How would that feel? Not too good, right? Like if you wanted to try, even if you were a bad chef, you still want to try, right? <laughs> the same thing holds true. Avoid answering those questions. You might also get the opposite outcome of it to where they might like that you answer those questions because it takes away the pressure for them to have to try. So it could do one of two things. It can either make them feel like they are just not good at this one thing in particular, which happens to be using language or meeting language milestones, even though they don't think of it like that. Or it could cause them to just be like, okay, I'm just going to avoid it altogether because I know that somebody's going to do it for me. And we want to avoid that. We can ask follow-up questions for clarification. 
And I kind of talked on this already. And so I'm not going to necessarily hit on it again. And then for our real sluggish speakers, we can provide prompts. Prompts are my friend. Prompts are like not giving answers, but like getting our sugars back on that right map, especially for our sluggish speakers. Because giving that prompt sometimes helps them process, okay, what do I need to say? How do I get it out without you doing the work for me? Giving that prompt, giving that that little push, that little oomph, that I, what do you want? I, I'm, I'm waiting, right? And we're giving those three second pauses in between to make sure that sugar has the chance to communicate their thoughts and their ideas. The next thing that we could do, provide visual context. Some sugars need to feel what it is that they're talking about. They need to see what they're talking about. They need to do, they need help with like processing the information, something tangible, something they can see, something they can touch in addition to the words. Some sugars are learners like that to where they just need that tactile reinforcement. They need something to help them along. And as they become more stronger in their language and more confident in their language, then we pull that away and they don't become so reliant on it anymore. And so, for example, if you're in the kitchen and I love the kitchen because, well, kids are motivated by food, toys too, but food first. And so, you know, it's snack time, right? And you know that anytime you say, what do you want? It ends up leading to sugar trying to either climb the counter or go in there and do it himself and pull down everything out of your pantry on you or whatever it ends up becoming. It ends up becoming an outcome that you don't want and something that you probably got to clean up after. So let's avoid that altogether. Maybe you just grab their two favorite snacks, a box of crackers, goldfish crackers, or a box of Cheez-Its. Why did I choose those? I have no clue, but that's what you chose, right? And you show them these two boxes and they look at the one and say, cracker. That's when you can give that word. Oh, you want to cheese it. Oh, you want goldfish. Oh, you want apple. Oh, you want orange. Whatever it is, you're giving them that visual context for them to then make the decision and you take yourself out of the guesswork. Nobody likes guesswork. So that's what I mean by providing a visual context, showing but not still answering for them and giving them that chance to communicate. The final thing that you can do to help your sluggish speaker or if your sugar isn't reaching language, early language milestones, is read daily. I can't emphasize enough the importance of reading daily. Reading does so many jobs that it is ridiculous. The rhythm and the pattern of speech, building vocabulary, increasing attention, increasing focus, pre-reading skills, telling stories, learning from other people's perspective, learning how to become a better writer, and on and on and on and on and on. Like the list goes on. Like you can't go wrong with reading every single day because it just helps sugar pick up on that vocabulary in a way to where it's non-threatening. And so it doesn't have to be an hour of reading every day, but sitting down and getting cover to cover to an age-appropriate book, not necessarily a noisy book. I try to stay away from noisy books and even the noisy books that I have, it really is interactive to where I read and then they have a job to make the noise make the noise. And then I read 
And they're not just pushing on the noise just to be pushing on the noise. And we also make sure that stories have a start, a middle, an end, a plot, a something, a rhyme, a something. There has to be something that's motivating. Nobody likes reading anything that's not interesting or motivating. And so reading daily is definitely a helper for just helping our sugars who may not be acquiring their language milestones. So with all that being said, if your sugar has language and you're like, Sharina, okay, well, my sugar, they've met these milestones. They're fine. Like it's not a deal. They probably don't need this, any of the stuff that you've talked about, but maybe they're having difficulties with learning. And this is with my older sugars, sometimes or older pre-K and up. This is when this really applies. And sometimes with my little sugars as well. This is why we pay attention and we talk to our sugars. When should you seek support from a speech therapist? Well, if sugar's ideas are not clear. If you say something to sugar or if sugar says something to you and you're not quite sure where they're coming from, then there might be something going on with like organizing how to process that language and get it out to make the listener understand what he or she is saying. If sugar does not respond to questions with a correct response or they respond, but the response does not make sense. That's literally if you go to sugar and you ask them something and their response is totally off topic or about something else, or it's not clear, or they try to distract with another answer, it's time to talk to a speech pathologist to get some tips and tools and some support to find out what it is that's making them not hold on to the information and give the answer that they want or why they're deflecting to talk about something else. And not because they're trying to be funny, but seriously, like this is happening more often than not. And you find yourself correcting or asking for clarification or getting frustrated. That is when you'd want to see a speech pathologist. This definitely happens with sugars who have language. So this is, this is why we're covering this. If your sugar is having difficult time holding on to information, if you teach your sugar a concept or something and it feels kind of like that 51st dates thing to where that information is not being held on to or it's being so mixed up or so confused to where it doesn't even make any sense, it's probably time to see a speech and language pathologist. If your sugar is having difficulties mastering written language milestones, that's simply transferring thoughts onto paper. Now, remember, I talked about, I told y'all about Buffy and Mac earlier. Those were my, that was my joint when I was learning how to follow directions on paper. But eventually that stuff even graduates from there and we start transferring our thoughts on paper in written form. That comes in the form of paragraph essays, poster board presentations to where we're putting information from our mind on paper in an organized, clear in concise manner. If sugar is not able to do that, it's probably time to see a speech and language pathologist. We help with written language as well. We are the masters of everything language. If your sugar has not mastered early speech sounds, and I actually am going to attach a speech sound mastery sheet in the show notes today so you can see what sounds sugar should master at this age, it's time to see a speech and language pathologist. Not mastering speech and language sounds can have so many outcomes that you just don't want to deal with. One of them being it can transfer onto their literacy skills. 
if you're not saying the sounds right, then you're going to be not saying the words right. And then when it's time to transcribe that in written language, you're going to be looking for it the way that you say it, the way that it sounds, not the way that it's supposed to be. And so we want to try to stay away from that. So make sure that you're on top of that and you know which sounds your sugar should be mastering at what age and at what stage. And if they haven't done it yet, no big deal. Reach out to a local speech and language pathologist. World changers, early language milestones, it's our foundational tool to ensure that our sugars are set up for life. Like we can't take this for granted. It doesn't take fancy tricks. It just takes our intentionality, our time, our devotion, and our care to make sure that we're practicing these steps. And not only are we practicing these steps, we know what steps need to be taken. You can't be penalized for what you don't know, but if the information's out there and you know it, let's do a little bit better with it. As my sugars get older and I'm learning that time is a fragile thing. And if we're not maximizing our time and our effort, to gauge them along the way, to help us grow together and learn together, then we miss out on little tweaks and changes that can be made along the way. So let's, again, my word of the day is foundation and proactive. Let's make sure that strong foundation is there and that we're being proactive because today I wasn't just speaking from the perspective of your favorite speech and language pathologist, but also I was speaking from the heart of a mother because we are our children's best chance. And not just because we have all the tools, but we have the ability to access the tools to get our sugars the support that they need. Let's not ever take that for granted. Our role in their lives. We may not be able to do it all, but we may be able to get them the tools around us to help. And we can also learn what those needs are and identify those needs and learn what that is along the way so we can be supportive and help our sugars get pushed to purpose. Let's continue to take steps to connect, grow, and learn it together, y'all. If you haven't become a part of this community, what are you waiting for? Becoming a part of this community gives you access to a free ebook, Maintaining a Healthy You. This book is packed and loaded with my personal experiences, balancing the world as a new mom and caring for myself while nurturing relationships around. It's a lot going on that us moms don't always talk about. And sometimes when we do, it just doesn't come off the right way. But balancing those worlds is no joke. And I know firsthand what that was like. And so this book is real life experience, jam-packed and the practical tools, a quick read just for you. Also, join the interest list for my upcoming book, Watch Me, Connecting to Your Child Through Play. This book is loaded with strategies to help you connect during play, transform the play space, all while learning how to just have a stronger relationship with your sugar, learn how to incorporate language with your little sugar, what are tips and tools you can do with your sugar, how to develop that love for reading, how do you optimize that relationship at that age in simple, easy, fun, practical steps without it being too heady or too weird or something that you just can't adapt. That's what this book is all about, making it real for you. I was there, y'all, and I had to make it real for me because I'm too goofy to be too heady. And so I try to find the balance in all of it. Additionally, in that book, you're also going to have a performance tracker, parent reflection, toy finding solutions. It's all in this book. And that can be found on my website at I'veGotThisKid.com. World Changers, it is always a pleasure being here with you guys. I am so glad to be back in this space and I cannot wait to connect with you guys again. Until the next time, y'all, take care.